you want to grab your Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 2. We will be reading verses 5 through 11 as we continue through our series. Actually, going to wrap it up today on Christmas carols, uh, somewhat uh, uh, interrupted uh, because of our what we thought uh, COVID had come to our house. It didn't. It turned out to be uh, false positives from some rapid tests. But uh, anyway, we are back in action. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5. Hear now the word of the living and true God. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the, knee, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let us pray. Lord God, we would see the mind of Christ so that we might have the mind of Christ. Help us as we walk through this early Christian hymn to see the depth, to feel the weight of the Lord Jesus Christ and who He is and what He means for us today. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, we are, what, less than a week away? from Christmas Day now, right? Uh, so, might as well say it now, Merry Christmas from our family to yours. And uh, you know, as we get uh, closer and closer, of course, you, you have on the radio stations all the Christmas songs. You know, Christmas time is the time of covers, cover versions, cover songs, where uh, just about every artist, every musician who is worth their weight. They usually have a Christmas album, and they cover Christmas songs, songs that are well-known. You get That's why we get, like, Michael Buble singing White Christmas and stuff like that, right? It's a cover. Uh, that's You get a, a, a new rendition, as it were, of a previously known, previously recorded song. That's a cover. That's different than a sample, when, when a song samples another song. When a portion of another song is reused in order to produce a different song. Could be the music, could be the lyrics, but they are reused. There's a couple of famous and infamous examples of this. Vanilla Ice. Vanilla Ice did this uh, back in uh, 1990 with his song Ice Ice Baby. Uh, he, of course, sampled Queen and David Bowie's Under Pressure. Ding, 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 digga, ding, ding, right? Well, Vanilla Ice sampled that, and the reason it's infamous, of course, is because Vanilla Ice was eventually sued for copyright infringement. You can't borrow other people's stuff without asking, right? And, um, yeah, it, what's, what's very infamous about this is Vanilla Ice did an interview. You can still find it on YouTube where 
he's asked about it, and he's explaining how, well, yeah, you know, theirs is ding, 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 digga, ding, ding. Ours is ding, 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 digga, ding, 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 ding. It's totally different. Totally different, right? That was the vanilla ice defense. But uh, that's sampling, right? Uh, MC Hammer did the same thing with You Can't Touch This. He sampled from James Brown. Do, 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 can't touch this, right? Sampling. We know about these examples. Uh, by the way, MC Hammer, again, infamous because he too was sued for copyright infringement and uh, cost both of those artists uh, quite a bit of money. Got to get permission to sample those songs. What's interesting is here in Philippians 2, you would have what I would call divine sampling, where you have in Philippians 2, verses 6 through 11, a, an early Christian hymn. A song that the early church would have sang. Most scholars agree this was, this is written in, in verse form. And so you, you do have this early Christian song, an early Christian hymn, which Paul plugs in to this text. Now this should be somewhat familiar because we actually covered this a couple months ago when we walked through the book of Philippians. But this time I want to I walk through this again as a hymn with the understanding that there's some background music here that we ought to hear, and we probably are familiar with it. This is the Holy Spirit sampling the Holy Spirit. And specifically, the Holy Spirit is sampling from another song that he inspired through Isaiah some 700 years before Paul ever put pen to parchment. It's what's called the servant song. And it actually covers from Isaiah 40 all the way to about 55 Chapters 40 to 55 is, is what's called the servant song, but especially chapter 53. Now, we know Isaiah 53, don't we? A richly messianic text, and it is the culmination, uh, the, the true lyrics concerning the suffering that the servant would do. This is the suffering servant. And we might as well read the whole thing, get this song in our minds, in our hearts, and then we'll come back and we'll hear how the Holy Spirit sampled from the Holy Spirit. The suffering servant song actually begins at the end of chapter 52. Uh, chapter 52, verse 13, the text says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely or shall prosper. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom? Has the arm of Yahweh, capital L-O-R-D, indicates that's his name, to whom has the arm of Yahweh been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. 
and with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and Yahweh has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of Yahweh to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of Yahweh shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So that's the song. And again, there are portions of that suffering servant song that are pulled and then plugged into this particular early Christian hymn in Philippians chapter 2. And we'll point those out as we go along. This hymn begins with a statement of the full deity of Christ, while also affirming that God the Son emptied himself who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, he, he was, and in fact, some translations say existing in the form of God, and I like that, because that affirms that deity always belonged to the Son, that he was deity from eternity. He was God the Son from eternity, and he retained his deity, his godhood, throughout his life. But notice, he was in the form. He had the essential characteristics and qualities of God, which means then, again, he must be God. All that makes God God, Christ had, Jesus had, the Son had, and has. It's not that he was merely, you know, like God, but not really God. No, he possessed the essential characteristics and qualities necessary to being God, and therefore he was and is fully God, existing as God from eternity. And so he was in the form of God. He didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, to be selfishly clung to for some kind of advantage. So though he's equal, and he is equal with God, he recognized, Jesus did, the Son did, that an essential quality of deity is selflessly giving, not selfishly clinging. And so in this case, what was always his, he was willing to, he says here, but he emptied himself, verse 7. Christ emptied himself. And this is where a lot of the debate uh, rages when it comes to this particular text. Of what did he empty himself? Well, the text just says that he emptied himself. It doesn't affirm that he emptied himself of anything. Like he didn't 
He didn't say, well, okay, here's my godhood. I'm just going to lay this aside so that I can become fully human. He retains that godhood. He continues to be God in flesh. But he emptied himself. And this is why the Isaiah passage is so significant. Because if you go back to Isaiah 53, I think we see the first sampling of this song. Remember, we read in verse 12, the middle of verse 12, how he poured out his soul to death. And as we look at this text, it says he emptied himself. He poured himself out. I think that's the force here. Is you hear this echo, this sampling. It sounds familiar. He emptied himself. Oh, yeah. He poured himself out. Poured out his soul even to death. I think that's, that's the poetic echo that we're supposed to hear in this song concerning he emptied himself. But that is, again, part of even what it means to be God. But then notice he emptied himself, how? By taking the form of a servant. And notice, form, this is the same word that's used in verse 6 for form of God. Now it's form of a servant. And so Christ, even as he possessed the essential characteristics and qualities that make God God, so now he takes on the essential characteristics and qualities of a slave. And that's the force of the term that's used here. Deity takes on slavery. That's the force. That's the, as you, as you, the, the church would sing this. They're singing of the supreme humiliation taken upon by the one who was deity through and through. God did this. God stepped down into this world and took on the form of a slave. But it goes further. He was born in the, hum- in the likeness of men, of people. And the term here for likeness, I think, is strategically uh, selected here. And it's used to emphasize God the Son really did become human while at the same time retaining his deity. Again, he didn't cease being God. He didn't lay that Godhood aside. He retains it, and he is born in the likeness of human flesh, human nature, the likeness of people. He assumed human nature, took on the form there in verse 8, being found in human form. A little different word there than what we find in verses 6 and 7 for form of God, form of a servant. Uh, The English standard, unfortunately, doesn't uh, make that distinction here. But suffice to say, he was not simply just a human and human only. He was God living out a truly human life. So, Notice that he emptied himself. Your translation may say he made himself nothing. That's, that's pretty good, and, and it, it really brings into focus what it means for God to take on human nature, that he made himself nothing in becoming human. Whether we humans who think so much of ourselves, whether we like it or not, that's what it means for God to take on human flesh, to take on human nature. He makes himself nothing. In other words, we're not as big and bad as we think we are. 
And so God emptied himself. But then he also is embodied. Here, verse 8 accentuates this. He was found in human form. And this corresponds to the, the likeness of men in verse 7. And it points to the, the outward appearance. He, he took on human appearance. Uh, in the, uh, again, it's, it's the full humanity of Christ that is being accentuated here, that's being emphasized, that he really was fully human. And in human form, and, and being found, by the way, that is, he was seen. That's the idea. Not, not being found like, oh, wow, how did this happen? Surprise, discovery. But rather, he was seen. People saw him in human form. He really was human, and he humbled himself. Now, again, this is where that sampling comes in. And, and here's where this early hymn goes back to Isaiah 53. And it actually borrows from verse 8. Now, most English translations are going to uh, translate from the original Hebrew for Isaiah 53. And so my English standard, verse 8 says, By oppression and judgment he was taken away. However, the Bible of the early church was the Old Testament in Greek. It had been translated from Hebrew into Greek around the 3rd century B.C., the Hebrew Old Testament was. And that was the Bible of the early church. And in the Greek translation of Isaiah 53 and verse 8, there the suffering servant song reads like this, His judgment was taken away in humiliation. And that word, humiliation, is related to the word that's used here for he humbled himself. I think, again, you have that, that poetic connection there, that lyrical connection between he, the, the suffering servant being humiliated and now here, here he is. He, he humbled himself. And I need to also emphasize this. He humbled himself. Christ did this. The Son chose this. The Son chose to take the lowest place. And although it's not particularly emphasized here, we know. He chose that for us, for you you and, and me. He chose the lowest place. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And you have the, the double emphasis there on death, which may, again, be in the, in the mind of uh, the, the one who penned this, this hymn, Isaiah 53, where he was cut off from the land of the living. Uh, they made his grave with a rich man in his death, he poured out his soul to death, 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 even death on a cross. But notice again, the, the sharp contrast between the greatest being, God, enduring the greatest humiliation, death on a cross. Cruel, humiliating, the most brutal form of of execution ever devised by the darkened mind and darkened hearts of humans. And that is the supreme revelation of the truth about God, of His holiness, of His love, meeting to satisfy God's wrath upon sin. It is in the cross that we see the wisdom of God. 
and it confounds the wisdom of humans. In the cross, we see the power of God. And it's exemplified even in divine weakness, if there can even be weakness in God. And yet even that is more powerful than human strength. It is the supreme expression of the cruelty of the darkened hearts of humans toward their creator and toward the creator's supreme expression of love. Yeah, he he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death on the cross. And don't miss, the son renders perfect obedience to the father. The very thing we could not, cannot do, Christ did for us. Therefore, So we go from God emptied to God embodied to now God exalted in verses 9 and following. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. And by the way, God's the subject of all these verbs. And the direct object of these verbs is Christ the Son. This is what God is doing to Christ. So the Father exalts the Son The Father bestows the divine name, the name above every name, upon the Son. And then the Father causes the Son to be worshipped by every tongue and every knee bowing to the Son. And the Father is glorified by all which is given to the Son. God does this. God has highly exalted Him. Again, here's the sample We read it in 52, in verse uh, 13. Isaiah 52, 13. My servant shall prosper or act wisely. So even at the beginning of the suffering servant song, you you have it pointing to, yeah, he's going to endure all the the bad stuff and all the humiliation, but he's going to prosper. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. There it is. There it is again. That poetic echo. That sampling, my servant shall be exalted. And then God does it. (laughs) God has highly exalted him. He's given him the name that is above every name. You know, when the the Jewish people uh, working through their scripture, whenever they would come across the name Yahweh, they they wouldn't pronounce it. They would talk about Hashem, the name. And here's the name that is above every name, and it's given to the Son by the Father. For what purpose? So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven, on earth, under the earth, all creation, in other words, all creation will recognize the lordship of the Son. All creation will acknowledge Christ, the everlasting Lord. This is also connected not to Isaiah 53 or or 52, But another portion of the servant song, this time the sampling comes from Isaiah 45 and verse 23. Isaiah 45, 23. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return to me, Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. And this is Yahweh talking, and now here is the Father 
causing all knees to bow before the Son and every tongue to confess the lordship of the Son. Because again, as we've seen, and as the this hymn has affirmed, Christ is God to the glory of God the Father. Christ is worthy of the same worship that was rendered to Yahweh in the Old Testament because he himself is Yahweh come in the flesh. Let me just also say that either we bow the knee to King Jesus and confess him as Lord in time to our salvation, or we will bow the knee to King Jesus and confess him as Lord at the end of time, but it will be for a condemnation. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess. Jesus Christ is Lord. This is, you know, we've been talking on, on Wednesday nights, uh, working through what's called the Apostles' Creed, tying all of it back to Scripture. And, and this is perhaps the shortest and most profound early Christian creed, early Christian statement of faith. What do you believe? I believe Jesus Christ is Lord. And again, in a first century context, when the empire, uh, uh, the, the, well, everyone was under the control of the empire of Rome, and everyone had to confess Caesar is Lord, to say Christ is Lord would have, well, it would have been a death penalty. And if you're saying Jesus Christ is Lord, that would mean Caesar is not. You did not acknowledge Caesar as Lord, and all that that means for him to be Lord, you acknowledge Christ is Lord short statement, and yet it's profound. Uh, we walked through this when we got to the part uh, in, in uh, that early statement of faith from the early church that uh, Jesus Christ, we believe in Jesus Christ, his unique son, our Lord. E each word here, Jesus Christ and Lord, each one of those is rich and deep. Just his name, Jesus, what does it mean? He will save his people from their sins. That he's Christ, he's the anointed of God, prophet, priest, king. That he's Lord, and if we understand Lord, what that meant for a former Jewish rabbi, versed in the Hebrew Old Testament, and especially versed the early Christian Bible, as I mentioned earlier, was the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. When they came across the name Hashem, Yahweh, when they came across the name of God, Yahweh, in Hebrew, they rendered it into Greek as kurios, which means Lord. And that's the term that's used here for Jesus. Again, equating Jesus with Yahweh of the Old Testament. And he had no problem doing that because, again, Christ is God, the glory of God the Father. And that's how this song, at least this part of the song, concludes. To the glory of God the Father. Remember back in... Uh, 52, excuse me, 53, Isaiah 53 and verse 2. Again, here's perhaps a little more sampling, but with, uh, with a twist. Isaiah 53, 2 says that he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. When they translated this again from the Hebrew into the Greek, no form or majesty, the term that they used there for majesty was glory. He had no form, no glory, and yet he is now the majestic one who is glorified 
by the Father, who glorifies the Father. And every tongue confesses him, and it's a glorious thing. That's the sample with the reversal, right? We're going we're gonna to take this, we're going we're gonna to twist it just a little bit. We're going to play it in reverse maybe, I don't know, right? But that's the idea is this grand reversal, and it's all to the glory of God the Father. This is, you know, we <laughs> think about the songs that we sing, especially around this time, right? Christmas time, right? Uh, <laughs> Grandma got ran over by a reindeer, right? What does that have to do with Christmas, right? It's just, <laughs> uh, baby, it's cold outside. Nothing, nothing deep, nothing even spiritual in those things, is there? And that's what, for many people, Christmas has become. We know better, brothers and sisters. We know that this time of year is supposed to point to when God emptied himself, who, he who was in the form of God emptied himself, took on the form of a servant, took on human nature, was found in human form, and glorified the Father through his perfect obedience, even to the point of death, the humiliation involved in that, even death on a cross. The baby that was born in a box in Bethlehem is the king who dies on the cross at Calvary. And the one leads inexorably to the other. We know better. That Christ is the everlasting Lord, the eternal Lord of glory emptied himself. He poured himself out unto death. God the Son rendering perfect obedience to God the Father. And Paul grabs hold of this rich, deeply theological, Christological hymn that the early church sang in worship and plugs it in here to prove what point? To prove the deity of Christ? To prove uh, the, the Trinity? Verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves. <laughs> what? Now, you back up to verse 1. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. What mind? We'll get there. Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. What mind? We'll get there. Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, and you're supposed to connect that with the hymn there in verse uh, 8, he humbled himself. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And now here's the exploration of the divine mind that was sung by the early Christians. And it's to prove a point that Christians are to be humble. We are to, like our God, was divinely selfless. We are to pursue selflessness as well. That we do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit because our God didn't. We just sang a few moments ago, let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. What kind of beauty are we talking about? This right here, this divine self-emptying of himself to the point of humiliation, even death on a cross humiliation. 
And it adds further flavor to the things that Jesus taught. You know, when Jesus says that if anyone would come after him, let him deny himself. The call to self-denial is spoken by the everlasting Lord who denied himself by making himself nothing. Denying self. Self-emptying. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Again, the call to take up the cross is given by the one who himself is headed to Jerusalem to die on the cross. And he calls us to the same thing. At the heart of the song is death on a cross. That's what they sang. And that's what they were called to as well. Deny self, die to self by taking up a cross and following Jesus. Again, where are you going, Jesus? Jerusalem. Why? To die. And as the Son renders obedience to the Father, so we also are called to render obedience to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How? Through the way of humility. By bringing it about so that the church is a community where no one is looking down on anybody else, but instead we are looking up to everyone. By becoming a community that is rich in fellowship in the Spirit and a community which is rich in possessing the mind of Christ. We hear the sampling from Isaiah 53. There's a, there's a bunch more that can be said about Isaiah 53, by the way. We've just touched on the points that it sounds like that's what's in back of this early Christian hymn. That's the background music. That's the sampling. You can hear it again and again. But here we have this rich statement. And again, it's to impress the point upon Christians that we are to possess this humility of mind, which was in Christ Jesus as well, as is demonstrated in the facts of the gospel. Let's commit this to prayer. First of all, Lord God, we are impressed with the nature of your word as we hear these echoes back and forth. And we would expect nothing less from a book that you produced through the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for your word. That by it we are able to be instructed in the mind of Christ. I pray, Father, that you would enable us to put this mind to work, not just to think these things in our hearts and our minds, but to live them out that this information would lead to transformation and that we would truly render obedience to you, Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. We give you all the praise, honor, and glory that is due you for what you have done in Christ and what you are doing in us. And we do all this through the glorious name of Jesus. Amen. You know, we're, we're going to sing in just a moment. I am thine, O Lord. I believe that's the song of invitation. I am thine, O Lord. And this is the time as we sing this song.
that we reflect on these words. Do we really mean it? Am I really His? Are you really His? Because again, to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, it's not just a, a deeply profound statement of what we believe. but That has significance for our lives. To live under the Lordship of Christ in every aspect of our lives. Have we truly surrendered ourselves, mind, body, and soul to the Lord Jesus Christ? This is the time where we examine that. Look back on the past days, weeks, months. How's your walk been with the Lord? Have you been working out your faith with fear and trembling? That's later on in Philippians 2, by the way. Or is there something that you or you are clinging to it as though it will give you some kind of advantage? As Christ emptied himself, so I call each one of us to empty ourselves, to pour ourselves out even unto death to self. And in a moment when Eric leads us in song, that'll be your opportunity. My brother, my sister, come forward and express, share how these things are on your heart and how you seek the help that comes from God in putting to death ourself, yourself. And we can help you with that. We'll surround you with love and lift you up in prayer to our Father in heaven. Maybe, my friend, you're here this morning and you've just heard what God did for you in Christ. You've not bowed the knee to King Jesus. You've not confessed Christ as Lord. This morning is the day of salvation. Today is the day of good news. And my friend, when we lead this, when this song is led, in just a moment, you can come forward as well. And you can express how you desire to turn away from sin. And you are repenting of that. And you are confessing Jesus Christ as Lord. And you want to submit yourself to be baptized, immersed in water, have all of your sins washed away in the blood of Jesus raised to live new life with Christ as your Lord. Again, we can help you with that as well in just a moment. Maybe there's something of a personal nature that you need to share and you want a private setting for that. One of our shepherds will be available in the conference room. Make your way over there. And in the privacy of the conference room, you can share what's on your heart with one of your shepherds. And they'll do the same thing there as we'll do here. Surround you with love and lift you up in prayer to our Father in heaven. Maybe it's about something that We've been talking about this morning. Maybe it's something uh, unrelated it, and it's just been weighing upon your heart. It could be something emotional or mental or spiritual or physical. But you need the prayers of your brothers and sisters on your behalf. So the invitation is open for you. The invitation is open for all. Why don't you come right now while we stand and as we sing.